Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and today I have three guests with me today. I've got Kent Knight from Arms Reliability, Neil Summers from Electra Learning, and Allison Holly from Tech Resources. Each of these guests bring a unique perspective into our topic today of onboarding. Onboarding is such an often overlooked activity, both from an employee's perspective and an employer's perspective, but it can have long-term impacts on that employer-employee relationship and can really set people up properly, if done right, to have long-term success in an organization. I learned a ton listening to these three speak, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Please reach out if you have any questions or want to get in touch with any of our speakers. And before we get to our episode, a quick message from our sponsor, NanoPrecise. Hello everyone, this is Steve Doby, co-host of the Maintenance Disrupted Podcast. When you go to scale with predictive maintenance technologies, you need to avoid alert overload for your ops team. Imagine deploying a thousand monitoring points and getting nine notifications in a two-week period without missing any key events. Machine Doctor, in combination with Rotation LF from NanoPrecise, accomplished just this. Avoid the cry-wolf syndrome with your ops team by scaling your PDM with the right team. You can check out NanoPrecise at nanoprecise.io. And of course, if you want to reach out and get more information about our sponsor, feel free to message me or Blair and we'll get you in touch with the NanoPrecise team. All right, thank you for listening and here's your episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and today I've got three special guests with me today. Um, so I've got Kent Knight, who you can thank for everything that you've been dealing with with me and listening to me on this podcast, because he's the one who brought me into maintenance and reliability. So he was my manager at my first company uh, at Fluid Life when I got into this, this whole thing, uh, and also where I met Rob, who got me started with the podcast. So thanks, Kent. <laughs> Morning, y'all. For better or worse. <laughs> um, and then Allison Holly has been on the show before. Um, she's going to be, uh, she's with Tech Resources. And we've got Neil Summers, who is just been on episode, uh, probably just an episode or two before this. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for joining the show. Uh, before we get started, um, could you just give a quick two-minute introduction of yourself there? So we'll start with you, Kent, since I don't think you've been on the show in quite some time. No, no. Um, so yeah, I graduated from mechanical engineering at the U of A uh, 2006, did a year of design engineering. Uh, and then I kind of fell into the uh, reliability world. I moved up to uh, Fort McMurray in, in Canada to uh, take on some reliability of the mine site there. Uh, and then, you know, did my my turn in, in uh, Fort McMurray, moved back to, uh, to Edmonton to uh, product distribution uh, for heavy mining equipment, and then moved over to uh, the predictive maintenance region. And that's where I met uh, yourself there, Steve, and then uh, ended up uh, moving further down the, the consulting road, working with uh, my current employer, Arms Reliability. Excellent. And uh, how about you, Allison? 
Yeah, so Allison Holly, I'm currently the asset health lead for tech resources, uh, specifically on mobile assets. I've come up through the uh, reliability engineering path and spent some time on site and then eventually into central roles, um, starting more in software support and moving over to our management. Excellent. And uh, Neil? Yeah, hey, Steve. Uh, thanks for having me back in the show again. It's great to be back. Uh, so Neil Summers, I am the owner of a company called Electra Learning. Uh, we are a learning development company who specialize mainly in asset management software, particularly IBM Maximo. So we are the largest uh, IBM Maximo learning development company in North America and the only learning and performance institute gold certified member. So uh, I've been, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not from these parts originally, but uh, I moved over from Scotland in 2013 to set up the business here. And, you know, we've got um, offices in both Alberta and Ontario and soon to open in the US and uh, work in lots of different sectors, oil and gas, manufacturing, transportation, mining, uh, public sector. Uh, so yeah, great to be back in the show. Excellent. Thanks, Neil, and, and thanks everybody for the introductions. Now, today I want to talk about onboarding. Uh, so this is one of those fundamental things that we as maintenance and reliability people coming into an organization, we seem to just get thrown to the wolves quite frequently. Um, and if we want to do things better, if we can put a better onboarding system in place and, and think about that a little bit more of how do we get people up to speed on both our company, the job, um, this is, it's going to help us all have a much better time within it. Um, so I know when I, I hear a lot from people out there that uh, when you get a new job or your first job in maintenance and reliability, you don't have any background in it. And a lot of times it's, here's a piece of equipment, learn about it. And you, the maintenance fundamentals and stuff like that seem to come later on where maybe that's a little bit backwards or, or maybe that's not the best way. So um, this particular group here, I'm I'm really excited to have because Kent um, with my first company had a great onboarding process. Like I didn't do anything of value for that company for a few months, uh, just getting up to speed on what the processes is. And I really appreciated that because it gave me the time to learn. Uh, Allison has gone through, going through hiring tons of people into her program in roles that are you really have to hit the ground running. And so how, uh, so bringing that perspective of how we can kind of bridge that gap to needing that immediate value and onboarding. And then Neil, who um, your company, Electra, we were talking just the other day there about your onboarding process and how it's, it's probably one of the best ones I've ever heard. And so I'm really excited to kind of have this dynamic here and chat about it a little bit. Um, so maybe to kick things off, um, We'll, we'll start with you, Neil, and we'll just talk about what what you think good looks like for, for onboarding. Yeah, no, I appreciate those words, Steve. I think um, for us, I'll talk to, you know, what we do at Electra, and I think what's proven successful for us. So uh, we've got uh, a program called the Electra Academy. So it's something that I helped set up uh, around 10 years ago, and we've been working with it ever since. And it's proven really successful for us so i guess high level basic fundamentals of it is it's an internal program which is um, devised to upskill all new hires and people who are onboarded into electra and um, programs designed for 
any new start at any level of experience when they're coming into the company. Um, so what we're trying to achieve is a consistent approach to how we deal with our clients and the project work that we do. Um, the programme, and I think it touches back on what you just mentioned, Steve, it can be, it's a varied programme which depends on the person's experience and knowledge when they join the company. So it can be anything from six to 12 to sometimes longer. And we really just talk through about the fundamentals of what's needed uh, to be successful in the job. So, you know, we are a learning development company, so we are focusing on, you know, training, organizational change management. So we look at, you know, the skill set of the people who we hire and we look to see, you know, what do they need to do to develop to, into the fully rounded role uh, to meet the requirements of our clients. So possibly it's, you know, enhancing some of their learning delivery skills. You know, maybe they've done classroom delivery before, but maybe not so much when it comes to virtual delivery. So we've kind of worked with them on how to handle both classroom instructor-led training as well as uh, remote training. Uh, we look at their skill sets, it comes to be a learning consultant with us. So, you know, where's our skills, what do they need to develop? Uh, and also even their software knowledge, you know, as I said earlier, we focus predominantly on IBM Maximo. Sometimes we have people who join our team who've never used the software before. So we take them through the program of learning exactly how the system works and the different variations that our clients have. So, you know, it's a fully incorporated program to make sure that, as I said, the person hits the ground running, um, depending on the skill set that they have when they come into the company. Um, I think there are a couple of really good things just touching on it, which I think works really well, is that, you know, we, we don't just have one person delivering the onboarding to new members of staff. We've got multiple people. So they're not just hearing the one voice all the time. They're hearing multiple people with slightly different perspectives and backgrounds and skill sets delivering that. So it gives the new person a really good rounded knowledge of, you know, the different people in the team. And it helps them bond with those people as well. Um, and I think the key aspect from what we do is that, you know, it's a practical aspect to the academy. It's not just all theoretical. The new person has to build, you know, a training program from scratch, essentially. So they're looking at every aspect of what they would do on a live project with a client. They look into, you know, what it is, the different skill sets it is to be that consultant. So they basically, before they can do a, a client-facing project, they have to work and build and deliver an internal project. And I think those are some key things that I think is really proven successful for us. And also the program's ever-evolving. You know, we've got multiple people within the team with a level of responsibility for it. Uh, so it's an always evolving organic program. And, uh, you know, we've got to have that to ensure that up-to-date information has been passed on to existing and new hires into the team. Yeah, that's excellent, Neil. That's and honestly, one of the most proactive approaches to onboarding that I've heard of. I don't know, Kent or Allison, what your guys' thoughts are on the the system that they've put in place there at Electra. Yeah, it definitely seems way more comprehensive than anything that we've done. But uh, the piece that I really picked up on, and something that's been really important for me too, is uh, you know 
trying to get different people involved in that training and not trying to do all of it yourself. That team building piece of training is, has, has been huge for us. Like, okay, like I want you to learn this skill from this person and this skill from this person. It gets them an understanding of who's good at what in the team and they get to spend time with everyone. So that's been one of the things that's been really important for me as well. Yeah, and I think that, awesome, that is, I think it's the biggest, I think when we originally designed the academy program, it was just one person delivering the whole program. And that's been, I think, the key change that we've made over the years is that, you know, people have got, you know, certainly when it comes to Maximo, we've got people in the team who know areas of it maybe better than others when it comes to um, e-learning development or computer-based training, which is an element of our role. Again, we've got people who are stronger than others in that. So it's really identifying the strongest people in your team to give the new person, uh, the new hire, the, the best possible learning experience. So yeah, it's certainly something that we've evolved and it's, I think it's a key um, that we get as many people involved in onboarding new staff as possible. Yeah, I think it's really important that you've got a, a defined syllabus as well. Uh, you know, I like what you said about the, the upskilling and, you know, any new start at any level kind of gets the same induction process. So even if they're, you know, fully fluent in the software they're using or, or something like that, they still get some uh, exposure to the, you know, the local language for how you deal with it or certain problems that come up and understanding who to reach out to if you have errors within the organization, right? That putting that scaffolding in there for new starts, I think is integral. Yeah, and I, I know, like I started a company um, and I started and it was like, okay, here you go. Here's your job, get started. Like you're hired in a little bit more of a senior role. It wasn't, it wasn't an entry level position and it's just, you're sitting there, okay, well, I don't know who to ask for a problem. I don't know who's the expert on this. And so you sit there um, trying to figure out who you can just ask to find the right person to ask. And so that, those introductions really are key and, and definitely that great start. Now, um, Kent, you have seen, you've been to many different organizations, um, both as a consultant and an employee with a few of them as well. Like what are some of the, the key things that people are missing out there on onboarding in your experience? Uh, well, I think it goes back to the experience that you just described, right? And it's, you know, whether you're, you're known to the organization before or you, you know, interview really well or you come off uh, a certain way with your resume, there's almost, you know, okay, well, we're, we're getting this individual on board. He's got this, this background or she's got this background. Uh, you know, you cover your, your HR type stuff, like payroll and, you know, the, you know, uh, emergency exits, that sort of thing. And uh, the rest of it, you've got, you're, you're covered, you're, you're professional, proficient enough to, to figure it all out on your own. Right. Um, and you really need to have some more, more structure for the, the introductions and for, you know, even workflow, what you would see or expect to see on a, a daily, weekly, monthly, annual recurring basis, and whether that's seasonally driven or fiscal year end, or, uh, you know, if there's step changes, you know, you get a new client or something and you need to adapt to that and how uh, the organization or the, the team that you're on is, is going to, to adapt to that or the, the culture of the organization, which is a really hard thing to to sense out as a, a candidate joining uh, an organization, obviously, is you know if you're starting within an organization, uh, you're probably familiar with the culture, happy with the culture, that sort of thing. But there's a real sense of the unknown when you join an organization, and you want to make sure, as you're trying to to retain those new new hires, that they're 
comfortable and growing into a, a position where they can flourish and contribute as much as they can to the team. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I find like when you, when you go through the internet interviewing process for um, getting, getting your job, like you practice, you go into that, you have to be a certain kind of person for 45 minutes or an hour. You got to do that maybe once or twice and then you've got a job, but that's not always who you are when you actually get there. So like I go into an interview and, you know, you get out of your comfort zone, you're trying to show more of that confidence and sell yourself. And, and then when you actually get there, it's, you know, we're most three of us on here are engineers and engineers are not generally confident people, at least the way they talk. And, (laughs) and so like you, you get there and it's, you're this very different person than maybe what they expected. And that starts to kind of get in your head a little bit. So that strong onboarding process and just coming from it, from that perspective that you guys have, have said there will get people more comfortable and realize that, you know, there is that time to learn. Um, is there time, there's that time to get familiar. Yeah. And that's something that like I've tried to be really conscious about with onboarding people. Like I usually try to tell them like, okay, week one, this is all I want you to know. If you know what meetings you need to go to every week, week one check mark. But by month one, like I want you to know what your major projects are. Month three, I want you to have some ideas of your own of how you're going to complete them and kind of give them some of those milestones to make sure that that, you know, they're not getting that imposter syndrome because week one they don't know everything about the organization. And I've I've seen, you know, that's helped more some people more than others, but some people have really appreciated, you know, making sure that they have something to check their own progress against. And I think just touching on what Alison says there, I think what's really important is that the new hire, they have a really clear study plan and a calendar of activities ahead of them. It's not just uh, here's everything they need to know to take on and join the company and take on the new position. There's going to be some structure behind it. You know, what we try and do is we, we have, it's pretty loose because it is flexible based on the how quickly the person uh, takes things up. And it is a self-paced program, the academy program we have. Um, you know, there is some goals and targets that we are looking for people to achieve. But if you're giving them, as, just as Alison said there, week one, this is what we want you to focus on. This is activities that you should be working on. And again, week two, and you put, you know, a, a fairly, you know, clear structure in place for them. And it's, it's what they're looking for. You know, it's, they can set themselves targets and milestones saying, okay, by the end of week four, I need to have been able to achieve this. And I think having a real structure in place, again, with flexibility for sure, but having a structure in place, it, it allows them, it's not, it's not such a big task to take on the new role. They know that, okay, I don't have to learn how to, you know, build an e-learning module within the first three weeks. It's not what the requirement is. But by week eight, I need to know the fundamentals of at least how to do it. So, you know, a real clear structure and plan in place. It really helps onboarding for the person itself. And it also lets the employer be able to assess the person's performance and how they're getting along. So onboarding is a two-way thing. It's it's great for having the new hire learning about the role, learning how to be capable and efficient in the role. But it also helps the employer maybe identify maybe some skills that the new person has to develop or work on. So, you know, you interview someone, as you said, Steve, and you look at their resume and they can interview really well. Uh, But when you actually start working with them, you can identify one or two small things. You think, okay, maybe they need to improve on this. And it's 
you can then help with our academy program sway a little bit to help them upskill on the areas in which it's going to benefit the individual and ultimately the company. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here and just say I really loved some of what you said there, Neil, with the the flexible approach, right? So I, I mean, I'm assuming the the academy is kind of a, a passive program based on what you said, where it's like video recordings or something to to develop certain skills or check off those boxes. But it allows you to to identify. I mean, for for the employee side of it, uh, to stage or approach uh, the learnings at, at the rate that they're comfortable or capable at, right? But from the the employer side of things, it allows you to you know identify possible top performers or you know people that are really hungry to to develop and contribute and that sort of thing, and also the the other end of the the scale as well, right? Because the business is only going to be successful if you get the right butts in the right seats, right? So, you know, it's kind of the, the other side of the, the hiring equation is, you know, making sure that you're getting and retaining the, the right high quality of people that you're, you're looking for. And the ones that don't fit with the team or the ones that are, are dragging it down, get the opportunity to move over to a, another opportunity when it's possible. Yeah, and I think really it's a, it's a good point, Kent, because you hire someone, you only really making that judgment on you know what, two or three hour long conversations with a person and what they've written in a resume. You don't know this person at all. So from an employer's point of view, you take someone on, you maybe pigeonhole them into thinking, this is where I think they're going to work. This is the role I think they're going to do. But that role can evolve. You know, once you start working with a person, you can start seeing, oh, they've got a real strength when it comes to maybe written communication. That's their real strength. Or they're really good at, you know, oral communication. So you you can evolve that person's role to match their skill set. So you can, it's a two-way thing. You look at what the person's got, you look at their natural skill set and abilities, and then you can help enhance and mold some of that to what you want them to do. But you can also look at, okay, what do we need as a company? Okay, I can actually move this person into a slightly different role than I maybe thought they were going to join and do. So, you know, I think you've got to, it's almost a continuous assessment of individuals. The individual should be continually assessing a company at all times. You know, is this a company I want to be working for? Is this company going in the right direction? Does it have the right leadership? Once someone's onboarded, uh, we've got, it's called the PACE system. It's our performance assessment system that we do. And it's a continual dialogue between staff and their managers as to, you know, identifying where their skills are, what their key skill sets are, where they want to move and develop within the organization. And so it's the next stage on from the academy. And again, it's just continuous assessment of individual skills, what's needed for the individual and for the organization. And I think it's always a two-way thing when it comes to onboarding and uh, developing staff. And it, it's really key to staff retention. You know, we've been very fortunate to have a really high staff retention rate. And I'd firmly believe it's relate to the programs that we've put in place to help and, you know, encourage our staff to develop and grow within the organization. That's actually one that's, that's newer to me. So, so my team's relatively new, like we've only been around for a couple of years now. And, and that's one that I was starting to see a gap in of, okay, they've been onboarded and they've been doing their job, but what's next? Like, what else do they need to know? What does good look like? Um, and so that's something that more recently I've been trying to find ways of, you know, what does a competency matrix look like? What does good look like for this role? And some of those questions I didn't have an answer for, which was a big red flag. Um, so, you know, putting something in place for that has been, uh, I, I can definitely see the need for it, but I, I won't speak to how, 
I don't know if mine's any good yet. It's it's a new space for me, but I can definitely see where where that would benefit people in the long term and, and support retention. I think you know, we can we know, can talk else and I can certainly show you what we've done at Lectra and you know we can compare notes and more than happy to do that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh honestly, Allison, don't beat your yourself up too much. X is greater than zero in this case. So the fact that you've even looked at you know, a skills matrix or, you know, development opportunities or succession planning or anything like that. Uh, even having thought about it, you know, over and above your, your daily work obligations, I think you're, you're a step ahead there. Funny, because that's the standard question in like an interview. What's your five-year plan? And everybody wants to know what you're going to do in five years, but then you start a job and you look at your like development process throughout working there and there's no development process or um, or it doesn't match what your five-year plan had laid out. So like uh, those continual conversations and right at the beginning, like, you know, you got to think critically both as yourself starting a new job, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And it's fine for that to change every year, <laughs> as long as you're working towards that goal. Right. So it's like, um, you know, we always prepare that answer in that interview, but how many of us actually measure ourselves and, and look at that and recheck and, and work with our managers to develop that skill set. Um, like I know I, I've got somebody working, uh, a tradesperson working for me. And I was like, well, what kind of training do you want? Um, and he's like, well, let's go equipment specific. And I'm like, well, you can get things beyond that. Like it doesn't have to be as tied to, um, you know, an exact task that you're doing. It could be a development opportunity kind of thing. Where do you want to improve on, on different sets of skill? And, you know, just to kind of shift the conversation a little bit to those people on the floor, like that's not something that they're asked, especially if they're coming from a union environment. There's not much of a development plan there. And part of onboarding is telling them and staff retention is showing them what the future of working here is going to be like, right? Um, so like, and I know Kent, before we started recording, you had some really good thoughts on like people on the floor and how to engage them and maybe some of the challenges there. I don't know if you want to uh, yeah. kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll just kind of do a recap. Uh, cause I mean, obviously I'm working off, off notes here, having prepared for, uh, for this. Um, so I was kind of talking about how, you know, uh, the purpose of a business is to get and retain customers. And if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your customers. And you've got kind of that recurring revenue stream uh, built in there. Right. Uh, and, you know, as far as, you know, whether you're uh, working at a desk or if you're, you're on the floor, you need to be able to uh, see the development opportunities, you know, uh, in front of you, right. You want to be able to retain the right people so you can keep the, the flow of your business going, but, you know, similar to what Allison and Neil were saying is, you know, people are growing and developing over time, right? Those, those things change, you know, inside of business and outside of business, but it's much more cost-effective to retain your high performers and keep them interested and keep them engaged. And that flows to your customers as well. You know, it's uh, as a working as a consultant, you regularly see with your different customers, the uh, expectation, I mean, Man, we can step back from the board here for a second and say, you know, I've worked with a number of people new to maintenance and reliability. And as soon as they see the scope that maintenance and reliability can touch on, whether it's, you know, 
spares or maintenance optimization or specific PDM technologies or whatever. You look at the, uh, what's it called? The uptime elements, right? There's 50 of them or something like that. And you go through the, the SMRP pillars, that sort of thing. Uh, there's, you know, so much knowledge that you can, you can get to and it's overwhelming or it can be. You don't need to master all of it. Some familiarity with uh, the, the majority of it, you know, going through and, you know, pursuing a CMRP or a CRL or even if you want to push it for some of those uh, higher mathematical performers with a CRE, uh, you know, it's a good opportunity for, for development. But I mean, it's no, by no means, you know, limited to desk jockeys. Right. You've got your guys on the floor. You can look at going through and getting a certification like CMRP or a CMRT or, you know, whether it's uh, predictive maintenance technology specific. Right. And it builds that confidence, builds that growth momentum. Right. And they'll, you know, uh, it, it's an internal change, so it can be harder to, to monitor and it varies by individual. But when they start gaining the confidence and the fluency in new things, they'll want to share that with the team and, you know, contribute but the team also sees that and is like, I want to contribute more, right? So it builds this upward spiral, which just works out well for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know when I started at Fluid Life, that's yeah, that was the first thing. I think within three months there, you're like you're writing the CMRP exam, like you're you're getting these fundamentals, and then it's you know okay, now what do you want to work on next? Where do you now that you got this base, this fundamental base, where do you see yourself going next? Uh, and I, I think it was you probably who told me this, Kent, like. Uh, 20 to 30% of your time at work should be development time, improving yourself. Uh, one day a week type of thing at work should be dedicated to improving yourself. And I think to, just to bring that back to onboarding a bit, and we've definitely gone beyond onboarding and now and more so retention, which is just as important, right? Um, and, and so when we look at that, like, what is your daily plan? Like, Allison, you've put out those, this is what you... You know, if they know what meetings they need to go to, really concerned about, you know, what if there's, they have to do something for the kids or, you know, how to sick time work and all these things. And you're, and you're just, yeah, you're dealing with a whole nother human on the team. You know? <laughs> exactly. Right. So it's, um, you know, a lot of these fundamentals that you just kind of expect people to know is, is, is not well known and it's different between a lot of different supervisors at, in companies as well. So now I'm just rambling about different things. So uh... Uh, I think Allison's got <laughs> something to, to chime in with here. Yeah, I've had a really fun experience because my, my first four employees all had 10 years more experience than me. Like the onboarding was, here's your objectives, run. <laughs> and And then more recently, it's been more, you know, clerical staff and students and new grads. And that was that was a learning curve for me of they're trying to book meetings and they don't know how Outlook works. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, let's go back a few steps. I've missed a few things, let me help you out. Um, and and so that, that was a difficult transition for me and I still don't think I've nailed that and it's very person dependent, but it was a little bit of a shock to me onboarding people that had never worked for, you know, never worked in an office job before. That's a totally different experience. Yeah, and I think touching on that, Alison, I think it's exactly what you said, you know, you there's different skill sets people need for their job and there's some that you would think that would come automatically with someone, but it's just, it's not always the case, you know, you sometimes make assumptions on people when they come in, but sometimes you have to take things back to the basics with people and, you know, it's, um, I think what we, we try and achieve, and again, this is part of our PACE program is that 
there's four different levels in which we're trying to assess people on all the different competencies that we set up our program for. So um, how we do it is the individual looks at the competency themselves. They make a self-assessment on their skills and then the manager does a separate assessment. So they're both looking at the individual, but from both the individual and the manager side against the core set of competencies. And it's really ranked in four different ways. There's either basic, so they've got basic knowledge of something, either a skill, competency, program, whatever. Uh, second set is like accomplished when they've moved on from maybe some basic skills. Then it moves to a skilled level when they've got you know a real good grasp of something. And I don't really like the word expert, but you know, that's that's what we have called the fourth stage on our program is that they're an expert in something. You know, is anyone ever really an expert in anything? That's for debate, I guess. But at the moment, so we've got that, uh, you know, it's basic accomplished. So this is the base part, we call it. So basic accomplished, skilled, and expert. And I think that just helps. You know, it's when we're trying to develop people, that's how we assess it. So it's a continual, usually quarterly, you know, reassessment of people's skills. They say, okay, I was accomplished last month. I've been working on these things this month. Have I now progressed to the skilled level? And again, it's a self-assessment by the individual and also one by the manager. And then they have the discussion to see, you know, are they along the same lines of thinking? Or do they both think they're at the same level? And, you know, how do we move them from accomplished to skilled? And I think that's when you set up the personal development plans and you set up targets and goals for them to try and achieve. So, you know, lots of different ways in which you can try and do it. I think, uh, you know, going back to the, the multiple onboarding uh, team members, right? Like the different perspectives and that sort of thing. Uh, Going to reference a, a former uh, colleague of, of Stevens and I here and his love for the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is, you know, when you know less and you think you know everything, having those multiple perspectives around to uh, give you reality checks as to what things you don't even know you don't know, right? Is an integral part of that, that development path. Right. And, you know, whether it's software fluency or being able to pre present confidently in front of a crowd or something like that, having the, the, the coaches around to say, yeah, you're you're good. You're much better than you were when you started. And you knew nothing. But here's a bunch of challenges you hadn't even considered, you know. So it's 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 nice to have that, I guess, reminder in place that there's further development available. Right. I think my favorite example of that is I've never seen a resume that didn't say they were an expert at office. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're an Excel expert. Everyone thinks they they're an Excel guru future. until they get Excel in front of them. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I remember yeah. my favorite thing, and again, it's just a joke that's you know it's been in my head for a long time. It's like I remember one of the resumes that came in, and it was in the cover letter as well. It says I excel at Excel, and it was just I just thought it was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might use that in the future. That's yeah. fun. <laughs> like, I was thinking, do they word at word as well? I don't know. <laughs> well, and Excel is actually a perfect example of of why you need to define what expert is, because you know somebody that uses formulas and they don't really even understand that there's this VBA coding thing in the background thinks they're an expert if they can write nested if statements they you know they're they're pretty excited about it and it's and it's not wrong it gets it's a good skill but the difference between an excel power user expert that macros and all these other things and and it's a full-on on coding language a poor coding language but a coding language nonetheless 
shots at VBA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and like that people just aren't even aware of what's available in some of these things. So like, you know, I, if I have an interview with somebody and they say they're an expert at Excel, I'd say, okay, well, what's your most proudest thing that you've done in Excel? And then that way you kind of can gauge where they're at. So like, and it's fine to say you're an expert at Excel and maybe you don't know how to do VBA because, you know, you're in a re- interview, you're trying to, you're trying to sell yourself. Right. So, uh, but if you can calibrate and understand where they're actually at and then set those standards for like, okay, this is where we want to get you, get you next. And like a jump between form, just using a formula and using VBA, that's a big jump. Like it's not something it's not something that's easily done. So what's the plan to get there if that's needed for that job? Um, yeah, and I think at that point, you look at, you know, uh, for the onboarding side of things, if you've got uh, role-specific skill sets that you require, uh, during the, the interview process, hopefully you can leverage, you know, whether it's skills tests or, or demos or, or something like that to figure out where they're at, and, you know, if they're above or below that that minimum threshold that you need to be successful in the role, even if there is further training that's required or that's executed once they're part of the team. Yeah, I think when it comes to, oh, sorry, Steve, just when it comes to hiring stuff, I think that's a, that's a key point as well that, you know, I think traditionally people would, you know, certainly I've been interviewing and onboarded and hiring people for, you know, for 20 years. And I think originally it was just always just a dialogue and it was just a conversation. You would ask the standard set of questions and you'd always get the standard set of replies. So you're really not judging on anything other than this is the expected answer to an expected question. So you've got to look at different ways in which you try and hire and onboard people. So taking the whole onboarding back to, you know, the step before you actually hire someone is the key is that you've got to look at the team that you're working in. You've got to look at the person who's going to join the team. Is that person going to negatively affect or in some way destable the team that you've got? You know, Electra, you know, we're a relatively small company. There's like 30, 40 people within the company. So we're not a huge organization, but we know that it's a really strong team culture. If we take someone on who's not going to adapt to that culture, who's going to like be different or going to cause issues with dynamics within the team you know that's something you should be assessing you know just how the people are in the interview again you only get that two or three hours of discussion time with them but look at different ways in which you can try and work out you know is this a good fit for the person both from a personality and um as well as the skills and knowledge that they've got. So you're not just hiring a skill set, you're hiring an individual who's going to join a team or an organization. And it's key that, you know, you can have the best onboarding program in the world, but if the individual is not right for the cult- culture of the company, then it's 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 no point putting them through it. So again, you've got to think about hiring as well. You know, we could probably do a whole different conversation on uh, the key points of hiring, Steve, but I think it's... It's something that, you know, you've got to make sure you hire the right people. And nobody's ever right. You know, you can't have a 100% strike rate, but you've got to you've got to consider ways in which you can try and identify, is this person the right fit for the role in the company that they're going to be joining? You know, and that's, that really is a great point because onboarding, you know, go, going back to the, the person side too, like onboarding starts the moment they look at that job posting it's how does that job posting feel like does, does it look like their hr has their stuff together the recruiting team like that's giving you a sense of that company culture right away and i know i <laughs> sorry what was that kid 
spelling mistakes <laughs> yeah exactly spelling mistakes in the in, in there and i think about some of the bad jobs i've had the the first job i had it didn't go well i i've talked to probably all of you about this at some point and you know if i if you look at that onboarding process and from the moment you saw the job posting to the interviews to everything you know i knew i wasn't a right fit for that culture but you know you're new grad you're desperate for a job you want to get your foot in the door right so it's and, and taking those learnings and applying them to your next job search. So yeah, no, I've got I, I've got some some follow up thoughts on that as well, Steve. I mean, uh, just just kind of a, like an overall, you know, we're hiring a, a whole person. Um, people are so hungry for meaning right now. I mean, in general, but I think you know, there's a lot of expectations from the the workplace or the business to you know get the opportunity to to master something to you know, contribute essentially there's, you spend at least eight hours a day doing something. You want to get some, some internal validation that you're, you're moving in the right direction. Right. Um, with regards to the, the aligning of the new, new hires to the team, I'd argue that sometimes you want to introduce maybe some targeted disruption. Maybe there's an area of your, your team that you're not performing as well on and you want a different perspective or someone that that'll chafe a little bit against the the incumbent team or something like that, right? So you got to keep that in in mind as well. That's actually for anyone that's that's heard me talk before. I always find a way to 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 bring it up, but like bringing in diversity looks like many things, right? So maybe your team is very stuck in like, no, this is the path, and you're like, well, <laughs> there's probably more opportunities. Who's someone that thinks nothing like anyone on the team and is going to be like a comfortable challenge for everyone? So and like, yeah, so bringing that back to the diversity piece is bringing in people with very different skill sets and backgrounds um, can be a really good way to do that. And, you know, with the increasing diversity in today's workforce, like, you know, uh, working across uh, regional uh, boundaries or languages, you know, all sorts of things, having those different perspectives on the different cultures that you could be working with is very, very valuable. I think even just thinking I had some really good points and I, I totally agree. I think you're, you don't want a delicate people joining the organization. You want some level of, you know, diversity when it comes in all aspects of how a person's knowledge background. And, you know, I think it's key to get different people in, you don't you don't want 15 of the same people, you know, certainly for uh, an organization, like most organizations, you need diversity and, you know, COVID's had very few benefits, but one of the great benefits is that, you know, when it comes to onboarding people, we've onboarded people uh, at Electra who are not geographically located in the same place as most of us, you know, most of our team are, are based in Calgary and Alberta, but uh, we've now got people who are in just different geographical locations throughout North America. And, you know, some of them, it actually took us quite a few months until you met the person in person uh, due to, you know, travel restrictions, etc. But, you know, just, I think it's allowed, you know, just diversity when it comes to where you're hiring from and just people from the different geographical locations do bring a different mindset and skill set into things so it's uh, I think that's been a real key and it's been a, a great thing and you know absolutely I'm all for you know diversity when it comes to what people can bring to a team as long as they're not disruptive towards the team a little bit of disruption is totally fine yeah yeah it's a it's a measured amount yeah it's right? a measure <laughs> thing, yeah. fine Five line there fine line <laughs> between you know what's going on here yeah absolutely <laughs> Yeah, excellent. Like, uh, this has been 
a fantastic conversation. I have learned a ton. Um, and I really think our audience is going to be able to take away a lot from it. We are running out of time, though. And before we before we wrap up, I do want to give all three of you the opportunity to um, let people know how to find you, what you've got going up, uh, coming up, and, and anything else that you just want to plug and get out, out into the world. So, um, Allison, I'll, I'll start with you. What do you have going on? Nothing coming up anytime soon that's planned for, but uh, always follow me on LinkedIn if you want to keep tabs on what's coming up next. Awesome. Uh, how about you, Kent? Uh, very much the, the same kind of thing. 2022 is a, a new year. Seems to be moving faster than uh, past years, but maybe that's just because I'm getting a little more white on my chin now. Um, so yeah, follow me on LinkedIn uh, and reach out if you got any questions or follow-up. Awesome. Great. And how about you, Neil? Yeah, similar. Uh, I'm active on LinkedIn, so usually daily posts from me on there. Also check out the Electro Learning uh, company page on LinkedIn. You can also check out electrolearning.com and our YouTube channel for more information about what we do and how we approach it and happy to discuss, you know, learning and development, um, OCM, training, e-learning, coaching, support, anything when it comes to supporting and helping train and support users is what we're all about. And, you know, we've got some conferences coming up and all being well, uh, some in-person things as well in the next few months. So, yeah, it's happy to talk with any of you on that. Perfect. And, and I know I'll have all three of you back on the show at some point. And so thank you for taking your time out of your day to join us and uh, um, looking forward to uh, chatting again.